Shaking me off, huh? I want to bring the heater to announce my presence with authority. To announce your what? Announce my presence with authority. This guy's a first ball fastball hitter. He's looking for heat. Oh yeah? So what? He ain't seen my heat. All right, me. Give him your heat. Why is he always calling me me? I'm the guy driving a Porsche. Fastball. Come on, Duke. Slow down, slow down, boy. Slow down. Take your time. Home run for Burton Brooks. Fayetteville General. What are you doing? Huh? What are you doing standing here? I give you a gift. You stand here, show up my pitcher. Run, dummy! Give me the ball. Teed off in that like he knew I was gonna throw a fastball. He did know. How? I told him. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hope. Uh, we've been really enjoying baseball season at our house. I think I'm becoming an expert at sipping iced tea and spitting sunflower seeds over at the Prairie Ridge Sports Complex. Can, can I just talk about sunflower seeds for a second? If you don't have kids in baseball, you probably don't know the proliferation of sunflower seed flavors and brands over the last decade or so. It is absolutely ridiculous. My kids won't eat anything except for dill pickle flavored sunflower seeds. And it can't be David's. It has to be Big's because I don't know. Anyway, it's this is a clip from a classic movie. Absolutely not a family-friendly flick. Uh, Bull Durham is the name of this movie. And Kevin Costner, a very young-looking Kevin Costner, plays Crash Davis, a minor league lifer. He's been in the minors for like 12 years, never quite could stick in the big leagues. And then Tim Robbins plays Nuke Lelouch. He's got major league potential a as a pitcher. And they, they have this interesting relationship in the film where not only are they teammates, Crash Davis is kind of the mentor to Nuke Lelouch. He's Yoda to Nuke's Luke Skywalker, and he's trying to help him develop the right kind of frame of mind, the right mindset to be able to take his talent to produce the results that he wants that's going to get him to the big leagues. And so there's this back and forth in the relationship all through the movie, and kind of the big questions are, will the kid listen to Crash's wisdom? Will the kid humble himself enough to grow? Or is the kid going to continue to shake off the signs? In Psalm 81, uh, it begins with this cry uh, for the people of Israel, this call for them to sing praises to God for the faithfulness, the goodness of God in their lives, generation after generation. But about halfway through, there's a shift that takes place. And it's almost like the psalm writer is trying to let not only the people reading this psalm, though, but, but everybody, uh, that in every generation... Uh, in every life, actually every day of our life, we are faced with similar decisions. A am I going to choose to listen to the wisdom of God? Will I humble myself enough to grow? Or will I continue to shake off the signs that God is giving me? Here is Psalm 81, I'll begin in verse 11. But no, God says, my people wouldn't listen. 
Israel did not want me around, so I let them follow their own stubborn desires, living according to their own ideas. And then God kind of wraps it up this way in verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that Israel would follow me walking in my paths. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what goes on inside you when you hear a verse like that. For me, the first kind of instinctual gut reaction when I read a verse like this is, oh, I'm a huge failure. I'm not doing this. I need to be better. I I have to do better. And if I've decided to follow after Jesus and and walk in his paths and listen to his wisdom, then it's up to me to fix what I'm not doing right. And and, and the way I think I'm going to fix it is get involved in all this religious activity. And, and I'm not trying to say there's something wrong with religious activity. It's, it's all good as long as the motivation is coming from the right place. I mean, it's a real good thing to gather together with people who want to grow, who want to get better, and who will challenge and encourage one another in terms of living a life of faith. It's a good thing to worship together on a weekly basis. It's a good thing to develop a prayer life and, and study habits as it relates to listening to God's word and what might it have to teach you. It's a good thing to learn how to give and, and how to serve as long as the motivation is right. And the motivation is always love. We're in this message series. We're focusing in on, on the Holy Spirit. And part of what I hope you've heard throughout this series, the Holy Spirit has everything to do with understanding God's love for us and allowing God's love to change us. It's kind of where we ended last week, where Jesus is standing up in front of a crowd of thousands at the Festival of Shelters. He says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. This is the the flow of how life is supposed to work. We drink in God's love. Like, Like Paul says, there's all kinds of incredible and good things that the Holy Spirit does, but if, if love isn't the beginning and ending of what the Holy Spirit is up to, we're, we're missing the point. So Jesus says, allow the Holy Spirit, allow God's love to fill you, and then flowing from your heart, it's going to be rivers, streams of living water. God's love comes in so that we can share God's love with the world around us. It's our mission at Hope. It's who we are. It's who God has called us to be. But uh, the problem is, the temptation for us is a lot of times that's not our motivation for doing religious activity. It's hard for us to actually accept and believe and trust in God's love. And so we think we've got to do all of this stuff in order to somehow earn God's love or earn God's approval. Maybe this will help kind of get across the point I'm trying to make. A couple of researchers in England, academic researchers, Thomas Curran and Andrew Hill, from 1989 till 2016, they studied 42,000 college students in England, in Canada, and in the United States. And the topic of their study was perfectionism. About 30 years, they're looking at perfectionism in college students. Here's their definition of perfectionism. An irrational desire to achieve. Let me just stop there for a second. This room is filled with achievers. There's nothing wrong with wanting to achieve, wanting to grow, wanting to get better. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an irrational desire to achieve, along with being overly critical of oneself and others. So when you have this irrational desire to achieve, to succeed, to to be the best, and then it gets entangled with an unhealthy critical spirit, that's their definition of perfectionism. And here's kind of their summary of their findings over the course of 27 years of study. Recent generations of college students have higher expectations of themselves and others than previous generations. Today's young people are competing with each other in order to meet societal pressures to succeed. And they feel that perfectionism is necessary 
in order to feel safe, socially connected, and of worth. I'll read that last line one more time for you. They feel perfectionism is necessary in order to feel safe, socially connected, and of worth. So over the last 30 years, perfectionism in college students has risen. Why? Because college students believe if I'm not perfect, bad things are going to happen to me. If I'm not perfect, nobody's going to love me. Now, let's be honest, that was a study that looked at college students, but you don't actually believe it's only college students, only young people who struggle with perfectionism, do you? I mean, what if they had studied parents over the last 27 years? Do you think there would be an increase in an irrational desire to achieve? Have you ever heard parents who are like competing with other parents to see whose kids are the most well-behaved? Do you think that maybe there are some parents who have overly critical spirit when it comes to who they are as parents? Or those parents, can you believe what they're doing? Or maybe overly critical of their children in this desire to achieve the status of being parent of the year or something? What if they had studied, I don't know, teachers, doctors, construction workers, on and on, married couples? What if they did a 27-year study of Christians in America? Would they find that perfectionism is on the rise. I actually think the book of Galatians in the New Testament of the Bible is a study on perfectionism. It's written by the Apostle Paul 15, 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. He's writing to a group of people who believe in Jesus, uh, but they're coming from the, the Jewish faith. And so they also believe, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, and we need to continue to carry out and obey all the customs and rituals and practices associated with the Old Testament law. And that makes sense, because that's all they had been taught for generations. This is what it means to be faithful. Do all these rituals, these practices, these prayers at the right time and in the right way and at the right place. That's what faith is all about. That's what parents taught children, because that's what grandparents taught parents in generation after generation after generation. That, that's what faith meant. And so Paul's writing to the Galatians, a group of people who were perfectionists as it related to following the law of Moses, and part of what Paul's trying to communicate to them is if you're trying to be perfect, you're missing the point. A perfectionism, as it, as it relates to faith, as it relates to our relationship with God, perfectionism is futile. And so Paul will write at one point, oh foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? I think it's pretty easy to look back at previous generations and think they're foolish. It's easy to look back at people who lived in other times and other historical contexts and go, why did they think that? Why did they do that? Why would they behave that way? And so if we're actually going to learn from our past, if we're going to learn from our mistakes, we have to have this posture of humility that says, you know what, probably if I had been living with the Galatians, if I had been around during slavery, I probably would have acted the same way that everybody else acted. What kind of arrogance would it take to say, I would be the one who's different than everybody else? You might have been, you might have been a prophet, but more than likely, you would have thought, you would have behaved, you would have done exactly what they were doing. And so this tendency for perfectionism that we read about in this community called the Galatians, it is a temptation for us in our day as well. And we've gotten pretty good at kind of couching it in, I don't know, language that sounds spiritual. And I'll, I would encourage you to start paying attention to this in, in conversations that you have when you're talking about faith, when you're talking about church. Think about the words that 
are being used, the phrases that are being used. They might sound good and right and helpful, but I wonder if it's really just legalistic perfectionism. And if you start to peel back the layer, it starts to actually be kind of these, just these cliches that you go, what does that even mean? And it's almost just empty words that we throw around and we think it means something, but it doesn't really mean anything at all. There's this scene in the movie Bull Durham where Crash and Nuke are kind of figuring out their relationship and how to help each other, and it's working. Nuke is getting better. He's becoming more productive on the field, and they, they, they're on this winning streak, and they're riding in a bus from one minor league town to the next minor league town, and Crash says to Nuke, if you keep listening to me, if you keep going down the path that I'm laying out for you, you're going to make it to the major leagues and you're going to be interviewed by sports writers and it's going to be really important for you to know how to handle reporters. Just speak to them in cliches. Right? I'm, I, I just want to do whatever I can to help the team. I'm just happy to be here. Good Lord willing, it'll all work out. Cliche after cliche after cliche. There's all kinds of cliches in sports if you stop and, and listen to it. And there's all kinds of cliches in church world, in Christianity. And I wonder if we use them to mask our perfectionism. Take a look. Bless his heart. I think he's backsliding. I think I saw him drink. Yeah, but in moderation. I just wasn't seeing much fruit. He's going down a slippery slope. How's your heart, man? How's your heart? I'm just such a words guy. It was a total God thing. I'm blessed. I've been working on my testimony. Is that secular music? We're opening with a secular song tonight. Wait, is this a secular song? Isn't she secular? Which station's The Fish? 104.3 The Fish. Safe for the whole family. You know he's a believer. I think he's saved. I just pray you'd give him traveling mercies. Mm. Pray for all Tyler's unspokens. Mm. Echo that. Just really like to echo Tyler's prayer, Father. I just, I echo that echo of my echo of his echo. I really feel like I'm being released from this, you know? I'm trying to be relevant. I'm just trying to be in the world, not of it. Hey, do you want to join our small group? You want to join my D group? You want to join my cell group, community group, access group, accountability group, Acts 27 group? Dude, he brought it. He brought the word. That service last night rocked me. They're pretty purpose-driven. Yeah, it's seeker. Don't they do seeker service there? I feel like he's gotten really watered down. I don't feel like he really teaches the word. There's not enough meat, you know? Are they non to non? We have a great Wednesday night supper. Let's invite some dudes over and fellowship tonight. We're gonna have a sweet time of fellowshipping tonight. Dude, we had the sickest fellowship last night. We're going to extreme. Velocity. Ignite. Yeah, I'm going to ignite. The edge. The dive. The bridge. The ramp. Fire. Courageous. Passion. Echo. Reverb. Noise. Velocity. Drive. Elevate. Radiate. 722. 635. 419. Orange. Blue. Yellow. Green. Clear. Neon. Catalyst conference this year. I don't do that because I feel like it ruins my witness. Been struggling with that. I'm really wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with a doubt. Need someone to hold me accountable. I'm really trying to be intentional with her. I'm pursuing her for sure. I'm trying to guard her heart. Guard her heart though, bro. Will you hold me accountable to that? If you stop long enough to pay attention, it gets kind of silly, doesn't it? And hopefully what you notice, the primary silliness behind those words and those phrases, it's all about me. It's all about my performance, what, what I need to do. There's nothing about, here, here's what God's doing in all of this and development of, again, there's nothing wrong with growing and, and getting better. I mean, one of our values at Hope, Christianity is a growing experience. Healthy things grow. The question is, how does that growth happen? How, how does that growth come about? And that's a big part of what Paul's trying to get at in Galatians. Read this verse with me, Galatians 5, 5, read it out loud. We who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. Now you read through the Bible from cover to cover, it's really clear human beings do not have what it takes to get better. We don't have it in us. 
And too many people in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, in Martin Luther's day, and in our day think, it's up to me to get better and better and try harder and harder, and that's how I grow as a Christian. And Paul just says, no, this is the Holy Spirit. God has a role to play here. Yes, there are things that we do, but it's God at work in us and through us that provides the growth. Uh, in, in all sorts of ways, we see this happening. The, uh, Martin Luther, when he's talking about it, he talks about something called alien righteousness. Everybody say alien. Alien, alien righteousness simply means we don't have righteousness in us. It's foreign to us as human beings. It's alien to us. But what Paul says, God has righteousness and God wants to give it to us. So getting better is not about me becoming perfect. It's about God's perfect love. It's about God filling me with the Holy Spirit, changing me from the inside out. And throughout this uh, book, and particularly in chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul's contrasting, here's the life where we're following after the law and trying to be obedient and trying to be be perfect uh, as we follow the law. And it leads to negative things. The focus is thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. In contrast, the life of the Spirit leads to things that God wants us to do. It leads to things that God wants to bring about in our lives, good things. You skip down to verse 22, and Paul starts writing about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'm pretty sure all of us would say, I could use more of all nine of those in my life. I haven't arrived in any of those categories. This is what God wants to bring about in our lives. You ever hear people say sometimes, I'm just an impatient person, it's just who I am. I'm just an angry person, I just don't have self-control. That's just who I am. And it's like, I'm not going to change. This is just the way it's always going to be. But if you're serious about following a God like we believe in, a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit says that's... You don't get to say, it's just who I am. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives that changes us. If we've been following Jesus for a year or five years or 50 years, we should be characterized by more of this than we did in the past. That's what God wants to bring about in our lives. This church is a very invitational church, and and when we encourage you to invite people, we simply say, tell them, come as you are. Just come and see. But often, I don't know if you've noticed this, it's easy to get kind of stuck framing things from a negative sense. Like, yeah, you should come to hope. You don't have to get dressed up. Uh, the, the pastor doesn't wear a robe. We're not traditional, and we frame it in kind of this negative sense. But Jesus and Paul are almost always reframing things in a positive sense. Over 600 laws and commandments and rules and thou shalt nots in the Old Testament, when they ask Jesus what's the most important of those commandments, it's really important for us to know. Jesus doesn't say, whatever you do, don't do this. Jesus says, no, the most important commandment is something I want you to do. I want you to love God with everything you have. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. You do these two things. It takes care of the 600 other things. It takes care of all the thou shalt nots. And, and Paul is saying something similar in Galatians 5. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. If you're filled with the Spirit, let the Holy Spirit lead you in every part of your life. Producing this, don't trust your own strength, trust in the strength that God wants to give you. Trust this gift of the Spirit that God wants to give you. And then notice how Paul ends it. There is no law against these things. There's no law against these things. Christianity is not this list of things that we're against. Christianity is a living and active God who's saying, Yes, this is the way I want you to go. Yes, listen to me. Yes, follow down this path. Yes, it's going to lead you to an even better kind of life, day after day after day.
The problem is life happens. And life so easily gets in the way. It robs us of the life of the Spirit. It reduces fruit production in our life. It's true for people who are serious about following after Jesus. It's also true for minor leaguers trying to make it to the big leagues. Take a look. Come on, hey. Come on you got Super Rook. Show me a Super Rook. Super Nook. Super Nook. La Come on, La Louche. La Louche. La Louche. La Relax out there. Don't aim the ball. Uh, Nuke's overthrowing tonight. Don't look loose. Anything bothering him? He says his uh, chakras are jammed. He's having trouble breathing out of his uh, left eyelid. Left eyelid? Right eyelid. Right eyelid. Your dad's here? Where's he at? He's right behind home plate. Don't look. Don't look. Hey, did you guys hear about Jimmy and Millie? Yeah. They got engaged. Can you believe that? Hey, anybody says anything bad about Millie, I break his neck. Excuse me. You guys, I got a game to pitch here. Hey, you guys, don't throw me anything. My girlfriend put a curse on my glove. Give me the glove. Well, then you got to cut the head off a live rooster. Well, Nuke's scared because his eyelids are jammed and his old man's here. We need a live, was it a live rooster? We need a live rooster to take the curse off Jose's glove and nobody seems to know what to get Millie or Jimmy for their wedding present. Is that about right? That's right. Okay, well, uh, candlesticks always make a nice gift and uh, maybe you can find out where she's registered, maybe a place setting or maybe a silverware pattern. Okay, let's get to it. Here we go. It's a very, very troubled group of minor league ball players. In John chapter 14, Jesus has just told his disciples one of them is going to betray him, hand him over to be killed, and his disciples are kind of freaking out, rightly so. They are troubled. And Jesus says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Every weekend when we gather for worship in this room, there are people sitting in these seats who come in with hearts that are very troubled. Things that are going on in your life and in your relationships, in your families, and you're not exactly sure what to do. You maybe find your place in a similar place to those disciples in John chapter 14. And so maybe the words of Jesus to try to help and comfort them could be help and comfort to you today. Read this with me. I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. And that word advocate that Jesus uses, he actually used a Greek word, paraclete. Literally means to come to one's side. Sometimes it gets translated helper. Sometimes it gets translated comforter. The paraclete is someone who comes to our side to offer aid. That's what the Holy Spirit does. This is a gift that Jesus has given to any of us. If you would trust him, if you would believe him. The Holy Spirit comes to say, yes, I am with you. Yes, I love you. Yes, you are not alone. Yes, I can fill you with God's love. And I can change you because of God's love. Yes, I can give you hope. Even when things seem 
hopeless. <laughs>